quickly. It's a draw! It's a draw! And then she gets it back! Oh, you're kidding me! And the Sunshine Coast Lightning have achieved the unthinkable. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Inner Circle podcast where me, Sherelle McMahon, and Bianca Chatfield chat all things netball B, great to see you again. I'm excited. Do you know what? I'm For the first time, I'm starting to feel the nerves about the World Cup coming up, what's about to happen, how it's all going to play out. Everyone's talking about this is going to be the most exciting World Cup we've seen because all the teams are so close. So, yeah, I'm very excited today. Yeah, and the thing about it is it only is a couple of days away. Finally. (laughs) We've been hearing about it for so long. We have. And as we kind of teased a little bit in our last podcast, we are going to be doing a bit of a review of the top five nations um, for this tournament. Uh, We could, of course, extend that to... Uh, countries like Malawi, who uh, you know had that great result at the Commonwealth Games, beating New yes. Zealand for the first time, yes. they are without Maui Kamwenda, so that will be a big a impact for them. Big change for teams them. like Uganda, who um, have Peace uh, Proskovia in yep. the team, who will no doubt. Uh, have a big role to play in this team. But anyway, there's so much to talk about, but we've restricted it to the top five. So um, we'll jump straight into it and start with South Africa. Um, South Africa being the fifth place uh, position um, on the world rankings. On the world rankings leading into this. Uh, They will be a really interesting team for me to, to look at and to watch. We've spoken to Norma Plummer earlier. She wants a podium finish. She believes that she can have a podium finish uh, and that is something that no doubt she'll be pushing for. The thing that I've um, really loved about this group that they've put together is their introduction into the Suncorp Super Netball. There's, I think, six players who are playing within those ranks and no doubt that gives them some strength. The defence end for me is where their real strength is. Mm -hmm. Carla Pretorius, we all know Carla. She's an absolute superstar of netball on a world stage, not just within this South African team, but it is her combination with Pumza Mawaini that is really going to to lift this. I mean, we, we have been talking about that. I can't wait to see what they do internationally because it's always a big step up mm. um, and they will have eyes on them and pressure on them. So yes. that, that for me is a big one. Um, the other end of the court for me, so through their midcourt, they've got some really good strength too, uh, particularly with Erin uh, Berger in there and Bongi Somi. She has had some great experiences. So I think they do have some strength in that midcourt. Yeah, and I think Erin Berger, just to pick up on her and the way she's been playing lately, I feel like she has grown so much in the way that she feeds as well. That used to be, I think, her biggest um, downfall was how she would feed the shooters. But now watching her in Suncorp Super Netball, that's been something that I think has improved out of sight, which will only be beneficial for them. Definitely. And talking about that shooting circle, I mean, they've had – uh, Inner Marie Venter, unfortunately, mm-hmm. has had to withdraw with a calf injury. So devastated for um, the Melbourne Vixens player. Uh, she's come out of there, so she's got a bit of a rehab in front of her. Um, but coming into um, that position is Siggy Berger. So Siggy, she played in the Commonwealth Games and actually played some really fantastic netball in that goal shooter position, had some big numbers, uh, both in volume and in shooting percentage. So, um, you know, she, she will provide a really good option for them there. Um, the goal attack position for me is always an interesting one. Um, Stoltz and Holstazen, mm-hmm. um, 
kind of have been sharing that role a little bit over the last little time and can run a little bit hot and cold. So that'll be a big position for them. Um, for me, you know, the, the absolute standout for South Africa is Carla Pretorius. Yeah. And um, the other one who I haven't mentioned is Lenise Potgeter, yes. who has come into the um, Firebirds lineup just recently. Her shooting style is bizarre, to say the yes, least. But it cha- it's changed a lot over the last yes. couple of weeks in Suncorp yeah, Super Netball. It has. <laughs> it is really a bizarre kind of experience for defenders, no doubt, to come up That's against. That's right. And sometimes those those shooters can be really tricky to contend with. And it, it, it'll be annoying for Norma because there's the benefit of having Potgita play in Suncorp Super Netball. But then it, on the flip side, some defenders have now had experience playing against her. <laughs> yeah. And so that's also annoying for a coach to know because you can go under the radar as a shooter a little bit because it is hard. Defenders have to get used to you before they can step on court and play against yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. And that'll be uh, that, that's often sometimes with these countries when you don't see the players. That can be yes, that surprise. It rattles you big time. Yeah, it can be challenging. So there you go for South Africa for me. I think that um, they could definitely rattle the cage a little bit in Where this Where do you think World they'll Cup. finish? I think that they will finish fourth. Okay. Yep. Not giving them that medal. No, that I, I'm not actually giving them a podium finish, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the next team, number four in the rankings, which is surprising anyway, but New Zealand. Can you believe it? Fourth in the cannot world. Cannot believe it. The Silver Ferns. I think... They have played their cards so well because they have gone under the radar. No one expects much from them at all. Everyone thinks that they've been on the downfall. Yes. Now, back in their team, though, the big three, they're all back. So you've got Laura Langman, you've got Casey Coppola, and you've got Maria Falau. Having those three in your team adds so much experience and then we hear Katrina Robe, formerly Katrina Grant, has also now been cleared of her calf injury. So she is in the team. Apparently she is fit and she is mm. ready to go. So That's a I big was, one. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge one. And the amount of test caps that they have to their name. So the, the, the New Zealand team boasts 781 test caps. The Australian team, 443. Isn't that amazing, that stat? That far is, out. And we all know in a World Cup, experience goes a long way. It, it helps you in those pressure moments when you need people to stand up. On the flip side, when you've got that much experience, you also have a lot of age in your team mm. too. And can players who are getting older sustain one game every single day at that high pressure and that intensity? We'll soon find out. For me though, the shooters and the combination that they, I think they'll go with will be Maria Falau um, at goal shooter and then... Ekinacio at goal attack. That yep, seemed okay. to be what they were playing against the men, mm-hmm. and it and it seems to work in their favour. And then they've got that X factor in Bailey Mez, who seems to cause a little bit of trouble when she comes on. Again, defenders find it hard to play against her. If she's at shooter and she's moving along that baseline, most goalkeepers in the game these days are so used to playing on a tall shooter, it is hard for them to get their head around a moving goal yeah, shooter. For sure. And one that is just very unorthodox in her movements and her vertical jump is allowed her to get up for rebounds that people don't expect yeah, her to get. So I feel like she's going to come on and off the court in that X-factor role. I think down in the defence end, having the experience of Casey Coppola is really important. Um, she can take intercepts. She can get her hands to a lot of balls. But then you've got Katrina Grant and Jane Watson, who's been playing really well too. Um, Laura Langman being their engine room. For me, uh, their secret weapon, though, is their coach, Nolene Tarua. She is amazing. She, the strategic brain... 
that she has, I think, is the one thing that's going to get them over the line here. And I'm, I think they're going to finish in third. third. I don't think they'll make the finals, but I think they're going to finish in third. Um, I'm really excited to watch them play. Uh, I just feel like teams potentially will underestimate what New Zealand are going to bring to the table. Yeah, well, potentially. And isn't Nolene Tarua very in- exciting to watch as a coach? She has no doubt brought that group together. You can see it. You yes. can feel it happening. Um, how many athletes has she helped from the opposition team? So internationally, well, that's right. She's got so many <laughs> in her team that'll be trying to plot to to bring her team down. So, um, yeah, right, third for them. Okay. Third, I think third for New Zealand. Um, and I was just going to say that too. I think for Nolene Tura, what a silly mistake it was for New Ze- from New Zealand netball not to give her the role. I think what back in 2016 yep. when Janine Southby took it on, you know, I think she was in prime position then, and I think they made a bit of an error by waiting so long to actually give her that coaching job. Mm. But we'll soon find out. Uh, let's move to number three in the world. And who can believe actually England is sits at number three? I know. I think that is crazy in itself. But to me, we've seen them grow and we've seen them develop. And for too long, they've been always, oh, they might do well. They might be good. We don't know what to expect from them. But now that they've taken out a gold medal at the Com Games... England, do not tell me you're the underdog favourites. Whatever the hell that <laughs> means that from work. Ebony. That doesn't work. <laughs> it does not work. You cannot be the underdog favourites. You go into this as favourites and the biggest monkey on your back is the pressure that that brings. I think they are a very experienced lineup now. Joe Harton and Helen Halsby are a powerhouse. You used to be able to rattle them with mm, physicality. True. You used to be able to break them down just mentally putting pressure, especially on Harton. She is a lot more resilient now. You can't do that to her. And often if Harton goes missing or you cut her out of the game, we can see it now with Helen Housby that she's strong enough to stand up to that pressure. She, They both shoot long bombs, which is such an advantage. They don't need the ball under the post. Again, that makes it really tough for the opposition. I think Serena Guthrie is their gun in the centre court, but um, Chelsea Pittman at wing attack, if she starts at wing attack, she can feed the shoot as well. I question, though, whether they're fit enough. I don't know if they've got any niggling injuries, but Chelsea Pittman, watching her play for Adelaide Thunderbirds, she hasn't had been as powerful and as quick as what we've seen mm. in the past. So yeah. I don't... She has spent some time kind of coming on and off. I think it was a calf, perhaps, that, yeah. that she had pointed to through the season. So. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure about that with their midcourt, um, but Serena Guthrie and Jade Clark, you know, she loves it. She I loves know. when the pressure's on She's her. Amazing. She just fights it. and fights and fights and has so much experience at this level. And then you go to the defence end and Jeeva Mentor, I think, what, this is a fifth world champs. Yes, which incredible. Incredible in itself. She is a player too that thrives on the pressure. She <laughs> loves it. She, I don't even think it would worry her that she's got all this stuff going on and all these different events and, book you know. releases. Book releases. Like and- she is everywhere doing everything. <laughs> but we know Jeeva very well and that would not even faze her at all. She knows she's got a job to do. I like that Layla Guthgoth has been put in there too for from the Thunderbirds. Mm. Um, she didn't make the Com Games team, but she's in there now. Uh, and she just adds something totally different to their defence end if they need her. So I know we've got to be quick on this, but I think England are going to do really well. I think their secret weapon is the home crowd because we mm, both know definitely. when you're playing over there, it is very loud. Yep, no matter is. what is happening in the game, they can get them over the line if they need to. But 
I still think at the end of it, Australia will have learnt their lesson. I think England are going to end up second. Right, second for you for England. There you go. Now we move on to number two in the world, which, again, we these world rankings for me uh, kind of feel a bit out of whack, but Jamaica <laughs> are in second, and maybe, well, they should because they do have some incredible talent. We've known this for many, many years. They have been almost there for decades. And so this is the big thing for Jamaica. I think it's a real mental game for them because yep. they absolutely have the athletes to be able to take it up to the world's best. There is no doubting that. Um, but it is just for me that ability in the big moments to actually stand up and either take it to those top teams throughout a match, have the fitness to take it to them for the four quarters, um, but then when they get themselves into a winning position to actually take it out. Let's not forget that Jamaica was just edged out of the Com Games final last year, mm. the gold medal batch, by one goal to England. They took a three-goal lead into three-quarter time and gave that lead up to England. So they are so close and... You know, you talk about the lessons that Australia took out of that experience in losing that gold medal match. Perhaps Jamaica will take some lessons out of that too. There's a very similar lineup, some different faces. One of the big questions for me is how they fit both Romelda and Janiel into the team. Probably they do play out on court together at times. Um, whether that works or not, I am not sure. And Ramelda obviously carrying an injury too. She, yes. We haven't seen her at her fittest at all and that's this a, year. And that is a big one because for some reason Ramelda seems to fit back into that Jamaican lineup a little more smoothly than Janiel yeah, for some reason. I agree. They, they feed Ramelda a little bit better. Uh, Shanice Beckford for me is a real key for this Jamaican lineup. She can shoot them from anywhere. She is a live wire. Uh, and I can't wait to see how some of the <laughs> goal defenders from the other teams contend with her because um, she wants the ball and she wants to take that shot. Yes. So that's tough yep. when you've got that big, tall shooter under there, but you've got someone like Shanice um, out there shooting those long bombs too. Um, let's go up the other end because their defensive lineup could be something that's really exciting too. They've got some mainstays there, but the exciting one for me, of course, is Shamira Sterling. Mm-hmm. She leads the intercepts and deflections in the Suncorp Super Netball. Um, She did that at the Com Games too last year. Uh, So she can do it on the international stage. She's only got better through this experience with the Adelaide Thunderbirds. Um, Can they combine her with KD and Dehaney out at goal defence? KD hasn't played a lot out at goal defence, but she can play that position. Mm. How scary would that defensive combination be? If that could work, I'd question Katie Ann's attacking down the court and how steady she could bring the ball down the court, only because I haven't seen her there much to do it. Um, But if they could get that firing, it would be really hard for shooters to work out how to get that ball into the circle. Really tough. And uh, one of the best defensive attackers of all time is Simone McInnes. Mm -hmm. And so she has been working really hard with Katie on her attacking play down court so she can do it so it'll be interesting to see what lineup they have now the big questions for me are over the midcourt Paula Thompson isn't there she's been in that team for a long time and has played a really big role uh, so how they actually work that midcourt um, a few unknown faces um, and because the players haven't played against them for a while it's really hard to get kind of a gauge on on where they're sitting so that could also work in their favor too excellent Exactly. And yeah. I mentioned that before, that unknown quantity can be a huge thing. So I actually think for me that Jamaica 
are going to take some good learnings out of that experience. I know they've had some close ones in the past. I don't know. I just get a good sense from them. I get a good sense from them, and I think they're going to finish number two. I think they're going to be in the in the final playoff. Oh, do you know what? I secretly hope they are because I would love to see them, how they go with that because we haven't actually seen it yet. Yeah. You know, see how they go when they actually get into that gold medal game. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Now, the final one, B is the Diamonds. Now, we have spoken um, quite a bit about the Diamonds over the last little while, so we probably don't need to rehash things too much. But I'm going to have a quick look at the attack end because one of the big concerns for me is the captain, Mm. Caitlin Bassett. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure everyone knows that she has sat out of the final two practice matches with a concussion injury. Um, Now, the treatment of concussion is um, fairly well documented. You know, you, you... have a small break and then uh, depending on your symptoms and your response to the testing that they've all done previously, um, that gives them a gauge on when your return and that gradual kind of return to full match play. Um, Now, it's a mild concussion, apparently. That's what we're hearing. Um, So apparently the the news is that there's no doubt that she'll be playing. Um, But I don't love that she's missed those games because she has been kind of searching for that form. And I think... Um, being back in the team with Steph Wood and Kelsey Brown, um, from the bits and pieces I've seen, um, she she looks more comfortable out yep. there again back with her um, lightning teammates from the premiership years. Yep. And so uh, with Caitlin Bassett too, we know that Tegan Phillip, who was the training partner, so she's already, I believe, as of today, leaving with the rest of the training partners. So she's not being included. So Caitlin Bassett must be okay. Yeah, she must be okay to play. Um, Obviously, she's very well backed up by Caitlin Thwaite. She has been in outstanding form this year. Gretel Tippett has as well. So that goal shooting um, position for me is really exciting. There's so much flexibility and movement that can happen within that. Uh, We know about the midcourt, Liz, Kelsey and Paige in particular up that attack end. Um, For me... Liz gets the nod over Kelsey just on form alone and so does Paige in the centre. I think Liz Watson has been the best wing attack probably in the world for a couple of years now. So that's where I'd play Liz and I'd play Paige in centre because she has been nailing that for the Swifts through this Suncorp Super Netball League. Um, I, I was kind of I'm leading into giving you my starting seven <laughs> accidentally, but I'm going to go with it. So that would be that. And I guess um, on individual form, Perhaps you'd, you'd give the start to Caitlin Thwaites and Gretel Tippett because individually their form in Suncorp Super Netball would kind of suggest that. Yeah. But for me, it comes back to a combination a little bit and I think so therefore Seabass and Steph Wood get the nod in my starting seven. Yeah. it's bloody tight. Isn't that interesting? And you talk about the combination and how important <laughs> that is down in the attack end. And if I move on to the defence end, that's where I think – this is where we're seeing a different Australian setup because I I guess for me as a defender, I was always a defender that played better within a team unit. So when I was playing with Jeeva for Vixens, we were completely team, everything right, left, covering each other's backs, (laughs) working together, and that worked for us. The defenders in this Australian team, it's not so much about how they work together. They are all very individual players because they play on their own instinct. So they remind me a lot of, say, like a Julie Corletto, who Mm. you don't want to confine Julie with rules. You want to let her go and play on 
instincts. She'll cover a player and she'll track a player and then when she sees the ball, she goes. She doesn't need too much around her. Mm. So when I look at, say, a Courtney Bruce at goalkeeper, she needs that. She's the same. She'll see the ball. She'll go for it. She's not necessarily going to be working with a Joe Weston at goal defence and how they can work best together. There will be an element of that, but I think both Joe Weston and Courtney Bruce play better when they're on their own instinct, using their intuition, where the ball is, where they need it to be, and how they're going to go out there and get it. So for me, I think at goalkeeper, Courtney Bruce, start with her. I love her energy and I love her aggression. Mm. We need that. Yeah. We need the aggression. We need to be able to go and compete for balls. Joe Weston is a bit the same. I think Joe Weston's been the goal defence in form. April Branley has definitely had a better year this year than she did last year, but I still feel Joe Weston will get the nod at goal defence. Um as wing defence, we know that's a bit of a gap. What happens? Who's going to play there? I think hands down Jamie Lee Price has to be the wing defence. I worry for her in the penalty count. We don't know what umpires are going to bring to the, yeah, <laughs> bring to the table. Right. We need the penalty count to be low for Australia to be able to get intercepts and move the ball. But every single World Cup that we've had, we've had a set wing defence who has had a lot of experience in that position. If we go back to, you mentioned Simone McInnes before, then we had Peter Scholes in that position, or Peter Squire. Then we also had Renee Ingalls. Then we had, oh, sorry, Selena Gilsonen in there as well. All rock solid wing defences. And this year is the first probably World Cup in a long time that we've seen a wing defence who, yes, we know Jamie Lee Price plays there, but hasn't been playing there a lot. As a defence, and you need your wing defence. To get any balls, you need your wing defence to be denying the wing attack any entry onto the edge of the circle. So that is the crucial position for me. There is something about Sarah Clough that I like, and I think she's going to play a certain role at certain times. She's the tallest defender that we have, so I think potentially up against Jamaica, when you let Courtney Bruce out there for a little bit, bring Sarah Clough on, let her get hands to balls that nobody else could get hands to. I like the way she plays. So for me, the defence end, I think you've got to let them play on their own instinct. Don't try and confine them into some kind of team um, you know, system or whatever. You've got to let them go and you've got to let them fly at balls. And the only way you can fly at balls is if centre and wing defence are putting enough pressure on. Whoever your goal shooter is, put the pressure on early, <laughs> create that, uh, I guess, slowing down the other team so the defenders can go out there and have a crack. So for me, Courtney Bruce at goalkeeper, Joe Weston at goal defence and Jamie Lee Price at wing defence to play onto your page and <laughs> Lizzie Watson and your attack in. That would be my starting seven. I still think Australia are good enough to win this. I think they're going to be in the final and I think they're going to take it out. Well, I do too. So my final top is it's going to be an Australia-Jamaica playoff for the title. Australia will take it out. It'll be England and South Africa playing off the bronze medal in this and I think England will just nudge South Africa and that for me leaves New Zealand out of the top four. Well, what did I say? I said, sorry, Australia, Jamaica, New Zealand yep, for okay, me. Okay. Did I? Is that what I said? I think yep, so. Anyway, I think that's I'm what you said. All now, right. just before we yes. move on to our guest, I just want to remind everybody, you can watch the games on TV. They're at great times they as well. Are They're actually. not at terrible times. We all thought they were going to be at terrible times. <laughs> so just for, now, these are Eastern Standard Time. So Australia versus Northern Ireland will be on at 7.30 p.m. on Gem or Go. 
on Channel 9. Zimbabwe against Australia will be on at 5.45pm on Saturday, uh, which is both on GEM. And then Australia versus Sri Lanka on Sunday will be on, that's a bit later, at 11.45pm. So check all of that, but we can actually watch the games at good times. Yeah, which is very exciting and I cannot wait for it to start. We are actually going to get on to our guest who is Dan Ryan. He's coaching the Northern Ireland Warriors in this World Cup. He's part of the commentary team that will be bringing us all those great uh, pitches from over in Liverpool. Let's get on to it because I can't wait to see what he's thinking about his upcoming experience and who thinks who he thinks might take out the title. Welcome back to the Inner Circle podcast. As we mentioned before the break, we are very, very lucky to have on the line Dan Ryan, who is coaching the Northern Ireland Warriors in the World Cup this year. Dan, thank you so much for staying up because it's pretty much the middle of the night over there for you. Well, sure, as you now know, coaches, we do not sleep. It's a 24-7 job. So, uh, yeah, the night, the night is young, let's put it that way. What, what are you actually doing at the moment? Are you watching other teams or are you doing some analysis on your team? Yeah, a bit of everything. So we've just arrived at, at Liverpool today. We've just had a, a first training session. So we've come off the back of four practice matches and a couple of test matches as well. So I guess over the next couple of days, for us, it's just about tapering off and, and refining some of the parts of our game that we want to make sure we're ready to go for the first match. And a good opportunity just to catch up one-on-one with each of the players and see how they're feeling. It's, it's obviously a huge occasion for the Northern Ireland girls that haven't played in a World Cup in eight years. So uh, they're excited to be here, but also just trying to, to calm calm the excitement and the nerves and ensure that we're ready to perform at our best. So lots to do always. Now, Dan, I want to know, you know, how did you go about getting this job to coach Northern Ireland? Like, you know, we've seen you coaching in Australia and we've seen you coaching over there in the Super League before, but how did this job come about? Well, I guess um, I've made a pretty clear decision in my mind after the Thunderbirds experience and then while it was all happening that I obviously wanted to keep coaching and I didn't want the Thunderbirds experience to be something that saw me walk away from the industry because I certainly love the job and, you know, feel like I have a lot to offer. So I think it was for me around exploring what was going to be next and as things turned out, an opportunity to coach at the World Cup presented itself and and for me I felt like that was just going to be a great opportunity to further enhance my coaching experience and when I look at it I've really only been coaching at the elite level as a head coach for three years so I'm really just in the infancy of my coaching career so I had the chance to get into I guess tournament play and head up a national program and and work back over in the UK where I had a great experience previously Um, all the stars kind of aligned for me and Although financially it was quite difficult to, to make that decision to go back over here to the UK, the job itself has been coaching in its most purest form. Like I'm, I'm working with athletes that work full-time, that sell drink bottles to fundraise to actually mm-hmm. get to the World wow. Cup, we pay for our uniforms. Uh, I've got doctors, I've got mothers, I've got wives, and any spare time they have, they're in the gym, they're in my training camps, and they just absolutely love it. So it's been a really refreshing experience to be a part of, and watching them learn and grow and embrace, I guess, the vision and direction I have for the team has been an amazing experience. So I'm really hopeful at the World Cup. They love it, first and foremost, but certainly that um, the rest of the world can see their growth and, and appreciate, I guess, how tough it is for 
these smaller nations that don't have the resources, that don't have the facilities, that have zero money, um, but you're actually working with people that are here for the pure love of the game, and it's been really uh, a privilege to work with them, actually. And, and I guess probably the right opportunity after Adelaide to really get back to the core reason why I coach, and it's because I love the sport and I love the game and I love the art of coaching and actually seeing people grow and develop. And, you know, it, it makes you, it, it puts things in perspective. And um glad I'm here and, and really looking forward to, to the World Cup. Well, Dan, let, let's talk just a little bit about that experience that you had with the Adelaide Thunderbirds. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I assume it was a challenging uh, period of time with with how that all played out. What were your takeaways from that? What what were you, your key learnings that you've now kind of uh, grown into in in this new role? Yeah, it's a really good question, and obviously it, it, it's the question that people ask me all the time, and, and the answer always changes based on where I'm at at that present time. And I think that's probably a good summation of how much I learned and grew from that experience because every time I'm in a certain situation, be it coaching, be it life, be it whatever, there's always something from that quite horrific ordeal that I had to go through um, that you just pull strength from or you pull learning from. And it's really quite powerful in that regard. So I'm fortunate that I've been able to, I guess, um, process that experience to use all those learnings and I guess at the moment probably the biggest thing is, is perspective and I think you know I'm, I'm coaching a national team at the moment it certainly isn't at the World Cup to win a medal we're not at that standard but we're certainly around you know the mark of, of thinking about ranking points and, and how high up the rankings we can possibly finish and it's about I guess uh, perspective of performance as well and what's realistic and, and what are you trying to achieve and to ensure that I guess the people that you're working for and working with uh, aligned with you in in that reality. Um, so I think perspective has always been a, a really good one. But I, I guess also to the the coaching process. I think when you're coaching a team and particularly a team that has new players forming or there's a lot of turnover in the group, building a team actually takes time. So you need to be prepared to to take the hits and you know chip away and be patient. Um, there's many different things like that too. I, I guess too, there's, there's other things, I guess, from a high performance perspective that um, you get really clear in your mind as to what you will accept and what you won't accept and um, what you will compromise on and, and what you're really firm and fixed on. And it's probably an experience that consolidates what you value too as, as a person and as a coach and whichever way you want to look at it. So it changes all the time based on my situation, but I am seeing all the time growth that it has delivered to me and that's why I kind of look back on the Thunderbirds experience with gratitude because although it was quite tough, I do believe that when I look back say 10, 15 years time in my coaching career that it will probably be two of the most important years um, that actually have set me up to to go on to to more successful things I suppose. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear your experience and and version of, of that and you know we hear so much at the moment about the, the mental health of athletes in particular and their experiences with that and the support networks that go around that. And the athletes are incredibly well supported now in that really important space. I've, I've heard different experiences from coaches in the past in terms of when their coaching experience is finished, what happens next? Did, did you feel like you had some good support around you through that time? I think I was fortunate enough to have a really good support network through a couple of key people in my life but I think I really struggled with that aspect of life in general when I first moved back to Adelaide from the UK so it was a really difficult decision for me 
Bird's job because my gut instinct was telling me to stay in the UK. I'd just coached Manchester Thunder to a grand final. I was working in the England Roses program as an assistant coach and like, life was really good. But the lure back to Adelaide, where I was really passionate about the club and wanted to reconnect with the group and I was really obviously optimistic that I could be the person to change the fortunes after a really tough 2016. But as soon as I got back to Adelaide, something never really felt right with me. And because the nature of the job was so relentless and so intense, I didn't really have a close friendship group in Adelaide. There were no family. I had my family in Adelaide. And we're really under-resourced and understaffed at, at Netball SA, which really kind of fell on my shoulders without a high-performance manager. And all that stuff became really quite consuming. But I guess my mental health that I never really probably paid any attention to before because I probably never really had to. And then it's until you're in these really strange places that you start to question what's going on with yourself. And um, my body physically really reacted poorly. I ended up getting, like, it sounds disgusting, but I had psoriasis from, like, my neck to my toes because of the stress and the anxiety. And it was a really difficult place to be. As time went on, like, I learned how to manage it. But the probably biggest challenge for me was, um, well, there were, there were two, to be honest. When when the announcement came out that um, I wasn't, my contract wasn't going to be extended, um, I was overwhelmed with all of the support from the netball community, players, colleagues, everything. I was getting messages of support from all over the world, which really, I think, put me at peace. And I felt like, oh, everything's going to be okay here. People understand the challenges we've faced. Um, it's not so much a reflection of my coaching. It's, it's, it's the landscape, it's the environment, it's everything. Like, it was all multifactorial, really. So you, you kind of took it as a pinch of salt, and I was like, well, I've done the best I can in a really challenging circumstance, so I now just hold my head up and I finish the job that I started. And I think the biggest challenge that I wasn't prepared for was when the season was over, and um, breaking my lease, and packing up my house, um, moving back to my family in Melbourne, and then all of a sudden I'm like, right, what's next? And then it was a really tough time because there wasn't anybody going, all right, Dan, let's catch up. Let's talk about what the next steps in your career are. Um, what do you want to do? Have you thought about doing this? There's this job opportunity. What about this? How are you feeling? There was none of that. So I think that's what really hit me because I felt so... Um, I was obviously really inspired to get back out there and coach again, but I was in such a rough place that I really couldn't think clearly about exactly what I wanted to do, and there wasn't anybody guiding me through it. It was really something that I had to figure out for myself, but there were some pretty dark and lonely places going on that I did have a couple of key people in my inner circle that I reached out to that really did kind of help me, but there wasn't anyone, I guess, from like, there's no such thing as a coaches association in netball. There's no such thing really as a, a well-being person for coaches in netball unless you've got your own. And I thought that was really concerning because for me, my summation of that experience when it was all over, I was like, if I wasn't resilient to want to keep coaching and wasn't determined to keep coaching, here I was at 34, just accredited as a high-performance coach and I'm working in an industry that has just chewed me up and spat me out and no one's there to kind of see if they want to pick me up and move me forward. So it was really tough. And obviously those those times faded away and, and you know, I, I moved forward through it with some, some help from some great people. But there is certainly still an aspect of that that lingers because of that experience. So I just think that mental well-being in coaches, in athletes, in all of us in society, 
Um, and it's something that we shouldn't take for granted because it's probably something that I think lingers in everybody and it's only unless a situation or a circumstance or an event happens where it really does come to the fore and, you know, it's about awareness and it's about how you manage yourself and, and certainly if I did things again at that level, I'd certainly be, be putting things in place to, to support me and the team a little bit better. Thank you so much, Dan, for your honesty. I think what we've really tried with this podcast is to give an insight to all the netball fans out there, just an insight into what actually really goes on behind the scenes, whether it's from a player or administration or a coach's perspective. And I think it's really important that everyone hears that side of it and what actually goes on. And just a quick one before we move on to the World Cup. I... I'd love to know, and it's a bit of a naive question, I think, from me, but I would love to know, is there anyone at Netball Australia that is dedicated to looking after the coaches? Well, I think in the, in like their high, in the high-performance space, there, there are coach development administrators and managers, but they're more around, it's, it's more an operation logistics type of role, that, you know, that, that does, you know, develop the coaches in terms of pathway opportunities and things like that, but... There's certainly, and then look, I heard from all of those people in, in Netball Australia in that area when the announcement came out that I wasn't returning, but that probably wasn't the most important part. Yeah. It was when it was over and then what's next. And, and like, like, I took that job at 32, which was way too young in hindsight. Like, mm. a 32 year old shouldn't be head coaching at that level. And, you know, the optimistic me thought it was right. But then I left that experience being a bit of a, I suppose, a, a grown man that thought better of it mm. um, because I probably just wasn't ready for the onslaught of what it was going to be like. But I think it was, yeah, more when it was over that there needed to be just more checking in. Um, and I think that's the stuff that matters. And I think, too, like pe- people, I think you're always, when you talk about supporting someone, a lot of it is, it, a lot of it is, um, it's a bit blurred as to how you actually support someone. And I'm obviously a big believer that it supports through action. So, mm. You know, someone picking up the phone and calling me and saying, let's go catch up for a coffee and let's talk about what's next. What do you want to do? How are you feeling? How can we help you? I just think that type of um, intervention probably needs to be there because, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty dark and lonely place. And I guess I was just fortunate for myself as an individual um, that was always very driven and ambitious. I always would have found my way anyway, but... Um, I don't think you can leave people alone like that after going through experiences that, that can be quite confronting in a number of different ways. No, that's right. And I think sharing your experience is only going to help what happens next. And so hopefully the next coach that goes through that, that people are aware, you know, how, how hard it is to work through everything that you've got to work through to be able to get back on track. And um, I'd love to talk to you about the World Cup because it's great that you're over there. It's great you're coaching Northern Ireland, but you obviously will come up against some really tough teams and one of them being first up against Australia. <laughs> How do you go about preparing and what, is, what are you thinking of the Australian team at the moment? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. So I guess from a Northern Ireland perspective, and this is probably another learning and uh, just under the time is, is being really clear about how you measure success. So we're obviously going into that game against the Diamonds knowing that we're not going to beat them and we're probably not going to get close. But we're certainly going to have some key, measurable, attainable goals that we want to achieve from the match. They're actually getting out there and attacking it with confidence and being fearless in our approach. So I guess, you know, we need to be we need to keep things in as a team too, that we're not probably going to win that game, but we've got two really winnable games to follow. So... It is about kind of working your way and navigating your way through the competition. 
competition. So it's a great opportunity for us as a Northern Ireland nation to play against the defending world champions, which I think is just an incredible opportunity in itself. Um, I think the Diamonds are going to come out of this World Cup and, and they're going to be under all sorts of pressure from five nations who I think can genuinely win the gold medal. And they're on an even playing field with the rest of the world, which I guess is a bit of uncharted waters yeah. for Australian netball when you head into a major competition. But I suppose the concern for the Diamonds will be the lack of experience in terms of major competitions. There's a lot of untested players there in you know, World Cup fence, but... I guess also, too, what the Diamonds have up their sleeve is every single player in that 12 is absolutely match-hardened through St. Corp Super Netball to handle the rigours and the intensity of what this World Cup is going to offer. But then at the same click of a finger, so are England, so are, I guess, South Africa now with so many athletes that are there, and to a certain extent, Jamaica with the silver third, too, I think, back as a genuine contender um, based on what they rolled out in their Cabri series. So how cool is it that we're talking about five countries that can win a gold medal because... I don't think ever in the history of the the sport we've even come close to talking about three. So um, it's going to be a cracking World Cup and just so excited to see how it all plays out. Well, just put your thinking cap on because uh, before we let you go, we are going to ask you for your predictions. So I'll just give you that fair warning (laughs) on that one. Um, But, Dan, it's interesting you hearing hearing you talk about you know, the measures of success for your team. And you go back into a program at Northern Ireland and these are the stories that we love hearing about, you know, you're up against these powerhouses who literally have professional athletes and that is what they do. They play netball. And the nation that you're coaching and many nations that are coming to this World Cup just don't have that and don't have the resources. So what is the approach and, and what is success for you? Yeah, look, I think success for me is going to be measured in a number of different ways. And when I when I first had my training camp with the squad, I was really curious to see as to what they were like. I really didn't know too much about their programming, the way they played the game, their level of knowledge, how they thought about the game. I just knew that they were eighth in the world. They were batting well above their weight, mm. really well on the world stage. And I think really well respected. They're a small country. There's no depth of talent really in the country outside of the squad. Like, it's a really small pool of players. And most of them are all playing Gaelic football as well or other sports. So, you know, I have athletes that train with me for three hours and then go and play an all-island Gaelic match afterwards. So they're really robust athletes. But what I wanted to see was, obviously, I guess their training quality, their intensity, where their emphasis on high performance was. And it's just a lot of learning that I had to put into place with them. And, you know, in Australia, as you guys would know, we, we talk a lot about structure. We play a really organised style of netball. We've got a real emphasis on basic skills with strategy and, and really, you know, intricate tactics and things like that. And a lot of that stuff was quite foreign to them. So my main aim here has been to just implement some structure and organisation in the way they play the game so they can be a little bit more purposeful about what they're doing and why they're doing it and give them a better understanding of their role and how it connects to the person next to them or behind them because they're probably used to just getting out on the court and playing. So we'll have to really balance that between giving them the freedom to just play so they don't overthink, but then also giving them some tools when they're under pressure to use a bit of defaults or to be able to have a bit of faith that if she goes here, someone else goes here. And that process has been really enjoyable because I've seen them grow enormously. They certainly now play a style of netball that can see that they're well-drilled and they do know what they're doing and, and they always have but now it's, I just hope that it's you know portrayed at a different level um, 
and they've really enjoyed that too because they've been students of the game and watching them learn and grow has been awesome. And so probably the biggest measure of success for this World Cup for me will be is obviously, you know, a lot of coaches will base their success around winning and losing. And again, you know, Adelaide, when you lose 27 games in a row, you have to appreciate other things. So um, I've really put an emphasis on that process. And, you know, for me, if we can execute some of the strategies, some of the structures that we've really been working on, say against the Diamonds in our first round, that's success for me because... They're the little things that really matter, and those players will feel it in the moment and go, look at us, we're competing against the world's best, and have just nailed exactly what we've been working on. So that kind of stuff is what I'll be gravitating towards, and, and results will be what they can be. Um, but I just really hope that they put all the growth they've had over the past six months into performance, and the challenge will be doing it under pressure, and um, you know that's where you just got to get the job done and be fearless in your approach. And They're good girls, and I just hope they have a, a really enjoyable time, and, and success will, will come to them in many different ways. We look at England as a team, and obviously it's their home ground advantage that they do have. But when you look at them, what do you think is their biggest strength and their biggest weakness going into this World Cup? I think their biggest strength definitely lies in their shooting circle. To have two genuine match winners with Joe Harton and Helen Halesby, I think they're just lethal. And, you know, it's not a case of shutting down one because the other will step up. And, and the reality is, both of those girls on their hand to shoot the pressure shots and that's how you win a competition at, at this level and under those pressure circumstances. I think Guthrie, I think Mentor, they're obviously the key ones too. Um, their concern probably sits around some of the injuries that some of the players have carried, I guess, throughout the year, but they've certainly got the depth and strength across the board. I think the biggest challenge for England's going to be they're also in uncharted territory being the hunted team. Yeah. And normally they've gone into these major competitions trying to get the monkey off the back and break through the glass ceiling. So, you know, there's a, there, there is a real fairly uh, confidence about this England team that I think suits them really well. Um, the crowd are going to be right behind them. There's obviously a lot of you know, big endorsements and big brands jumping on board the team. So there's a lot of disruptions going on for them too. But um, I'm really keen to see how this group handles being the team to beat. And they'll play it down, but... They are the team to beat. They're on home terrace and they're the reigning champions of the Commonwealth Games. So, well, they and they keep um, trying to tell us that they're the underdogs. I'm not. I'm not sure that I necessarily agree with that. They've all uh, no. scored a tag watch too. So you say there's some big sponsors and names behind them. <laughs> Everyone is getting behind them. Okay, so put your um, put your uh, commentators commentators hat on, hat on <laughs> and your re- reputation on the line. What what are the top three podium finishes? What what order are we going to see? Do you think? Oh, good. Um, I gave you thinking time. Goodness. Yeah. England, Australia, and South Africa. Wow. Ooh, cool. I like it. I How like much it. would the plum be loving that? <laughs> well, she's I backed herself in for... I saw the plum before. Yeah, yeah. I was in the training hall before and gave her a big hug. And she, I said, oh, how are you going, plum? And she goes, oh, the draw. It's unfair. We don't oh, <laughs> there's always time. something, Plum. Hey, Dan, before we do let you go, I just wanted to touch on what's coming next for you. You were the assistant coach with Manchester Thunder who won the Super League title over there, which was incredible. Um, there's the role you're in here. The England coaching role is becoming available after Ooh. this World Cup. What is next for Dan Ryan? Well, I guess for me, I'm really happy over this side of the world again and um, keen to keep doing the international coaching for a little bit longer. And, you know, I've had a couple of good, good offers from some franchises for, 
for Super League, and I think that that's kind of where I want to stick my coaching at the moment. With you know, still doing some work with Northern Ireland as well. So, not in a position to say anything just yet, but um, I'm, I'm quite I'm quite content that there's some good job security over the next couple of years, and uh, most importantly, good life balance. And you know, in my spare time, I can go and travel to Europe, and that's not a bad life. <laughs> life with, so, uh, all is good. <laughs> well, I've been catching up with you on Instagram, so we see all you travelling. Uh, you certainly <laughs> look fun. like you're having a good time over there, which is fantastic. Dan, thank you so much for the honesty that you've shown us um, in your chats today. It has been fantastic to speak to you. Can't wait to hear your voice on the Sky Sports commentary team as well. That'll be fantastic across this World Cup. But most of all, all the very best with the Northern Ireland Warriors. They are very lucky to have you at the helm. Uh, and as I say, we can't... Sounds like there's some good things on the horizon too. I know, too. I like it. I like it. So thanks so much, Dan, and get to bed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm tired now, actually, so thanks for that. Thank you. Good. We put you to sleep. Fantastic. <laughs> Bianca, we've been really lucky on this podcast to have some fantastic interviews, and I reckon Dan was one of the best. That was such honesty and kind of raw emotion, wasn't it, oh, from his experiences? Absolutely, and I think that's what we need. We need people sharing their experiences when, especially when they go through a tough time because that's the only way we're going to get changed. So even my head and having so much to do with the Players Association, straight away I'm like, you know, it's going to take someone like a Dan to set up a coaches association mm. to, to help that. And I know it all comes down to money at the end of the day, but I've heard a lot of coaches in the past say they need a coaches association and the Players Association started from players creating it yep. and I feel like a coach needs to create that to be able to provide that support that they so desperately need. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of a different thing. You know, often a player, after they've come out of a, an experience, can go, right, well, I'll go on to a new team. Or And it's yeah. a little, you know, the opportunities for coaches are so much smaller than they are for athletes. So great chat and yep. really exciting to hear him talk about what he's thinking about for um, for the World Cup coming up. Yeah, so. and all ending on a very positive note in that he's really happy in the UK and obviously plenty of opportunities over there for him, yes. whatever that may be. Well, I don't whatever know. that may be, it did sound like something. <laughs> Something's happening, which is pretty exciting. So Dan's gone with England to take out the title for the first time. Uh, that is very exciting. You and I have both stuck with the Aussies, <laughs> although it's not with a lot of confidence, we've got to say. But anyway, that's what we're going with on uh, who will be the world champions. Very well, The World Cup winners, is that yes. what we say now? No, no we're world still world champions. Yep. Um, so very much looking forward to it all getting underway in just a couple of days. I know. This time next week we'll have plenty more to talk about, Absolutely. won't we? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks, B. See ya.